Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bunnett. And welcome to episode 17 of the North Meet South web podcast. I will admit, that was a horrible Australian accent. That was really bad. I don't think I've heard you put on a good one yet, so <laughs> keep trying. <laughs> I didn't practice that. That was just off the cuff, you know. Oh, man, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to work with me. You know what? I remember finding when I was in like high school or something. There was this book that they had that taught you to te- taught you to speak the different accents well. Like, oh yeah, you know how like oh just. When we say certain words, they sound like we're saying we're, we're speaking with an Australian accent. We talked about this, like rise up lights, yeah, right? yeah, rise yeah. up lights, yeah, like that. Yeah. And so that yeah. book, it was kind of like full of those sorts of things where it was like, if you're trying to say this word, say it this way and you'll sound like you're Australian. Yeah. I need to go find that book. Maybe then I could actually do a decent Australian accent. I think so. You'd be on your way. Yeah. Yeah. This week you have uh, nephews and nieces and sister in town. How's that going this week, man? Yeah, pretty good. Um, my sister got here after we recorded last week, um, so she's been with us all week, which has been pretty good for her, just having a, a week off, and she got through, I think on Tuesday, we left for work at just after seven in the morning, and she started watching Westworld, and then I, I got home from work about four, and she was still watching Westworld, and <laughs> I went to basketball at, at nine o'clock at night, and when I came back at 11.30, she was just finishing up Westworld, so she got through it all in one all, day about, all of season one is, is done huh yeah all of season one. well actually it turned out that she missed out an episode because i did not have oh, episode no. five but we went back and watched that the next day so there you and go. it was fun for me watching it the second time and going you know being able to connect the dots uh-huh. much more easily having known what the rest of the story was so sure no i haven't seen any of westworld i haven't watched any of it you should yeah i know right that's what i hear everybody's telling me that it's like the is it kind of like did you ever watch lost yeah, yeah, yeah. I does got see, does like it have a, a similar feel a at all? Does it ever feel similar at all to that, or not really? I don't know. I don't really remember. I got through the first season and a half, and I just couldn't. Like, it felt like it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Whereas there was mis- there's mystery in Westworld, but it still feels like it. You know, it it had a feel of a direction. Yeah, and it's it, going. Yeah, you're you you're making progress, it? right? Yeah, and because they've sort of said that it's going to be a five season arc, you know that they've probably planned it out a bit. So. I, I rated it pretty highly, and I, I preferred it to Game of Thrones. So, yeah. but that may not be okay. saying much because I don't. I think Game of Thrones is getting a bit long in the tooth, personally. Oh really? Is it now? Is yeah. it? Is it follow the books? Any? Is, is it following uh, the books or something? Yeah. Or I haven't read the books. Re, my wife has read the books, and um, okay. it it sort of does, but it, it like drags out bits and pieces, and it talks about things in a roundabout way that. I mean, they run out of book material now. With I think season six or season seven is coming out next year, um, so they they know where George Martin wants to take the story. Like they know how it all ends, so they're sort of bridging the gap now between the books that have not yet been written. Okay, gotcha. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. 
So yeah, I've I've yet to watch any Westworld, but I've you know, and some of the things that I've seen online, I hear that there's some pretty big things at the end of season one that kind of give away. You know, like going back and watching it, you'd have a lot more insight into exactly what's going yeah. on. So interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Well, you had also said this morning, and I'm, I was just kind of welcoming you to the future world of parenting for yourself. You said, you know, I'm going to get up this morning before all the kids get up so I can record in some peace and quiet. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm going to get up at like 6 a.m. And inevitably, your nieces and yeah. nephews woke up like five minutes before, right? Yeah, yeah. And that is every morning of my life. You know, I'm like, I'm going to get up early today and I'm just going to get a couple of things done. And it's like, I get up early. And as soon as I get up the stairs, like I, I hit that one stair that like creaks when you step on it and oh, yeah. all three kids are up and there you go. That was my morning <laughs> and that was it. So yeah, man, it's, it's coming. It's coming. You guys have got a little bit of time yeah. left before that, but, um, no, it's good, man. It's, it's, I make it sound like it's difficult and bad, but of course there's Lots of fun stuff that comes along with being a parent too. So not hating on it, just it's how it is. It's just reality. But yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah, that's right. They're only here. They're only here until tomorrow night, anyway. So we'll go back to our normal life after that. There you go. For the time being. There you go. <laughs> One other thing I want to talk about before we kind of get into the Laravel happenings of this last week is you had mentioned before we started the podcast. Is it minced fruit pies? Yeah, fruit pies. So okay, I've I've never actually eaten them. <laughs> My my wife really loves them, but she because she's got some food intolerances, she can't have them. Yeah, explain to me like what it is. Like, what is a minced fruit pie? What is that? Is it just a, a, a so, fruit cut up and put yeah, into a pie? Basically, yeah. It's it's like a instead of having a savory pie, it's just a sweet pie. But I I didn't realize that they were not. Well, more, so um, we probably have that. I just don't know if we call it minced fruit pie. So like, I'd call it like an apple pie, or like a strawberry rhubarb pie, or like yeah, a. Okay something pie but i've never called anything a minced sure. fruit pie so like what type of yeah, fruit so you we put have in there? like kiwi yeah so we i mean we've got that that kind of you know obviously we have apple pies and things like that but a mince pie is is a like a british thing okay. so that's probably why it made its way over here you you, you guys kind of cut your ties with the british <laughs> and you had that little love had that little spat yeah yeah that's right um so it's usually like dried fruits and spices um, and oh. they call it, you know, minced meat. Okay. Is it, but no, it's like it's, a traditional Christmas thing. But it's not meat. It's not meat. It's fruit, right? No, it's not not meat. Yeah, it's fruit. So, but they call I it mean, minced call meat? It, no, they just call it mince pies, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. You'd put fruit, spices, like cinnamon cinnamon and cloves and nutmeg and things like that. But, yeah, as I said, I've... Because um, my background's Polish, so my Christmas time is probably a little bit different to everyone else. Like, my... My wife, she's from a Irish English sort of background, so um, it makes makes more sense that that's what what she has. Whereas we were more more traditional Polish sort of thing. So our our Christmas Eve, especially, we do sort of it's it's a vegetarian. So there's we do Polish ravioli that are you know mushroom and and cabbage and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, we didn't really get into the mince pies. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I was trying to figure out like another one of those, you know, like you a buck showing or whatever you called it last week. I can't remember what it was. They yeah. Call bachelor party, or whatever. It's always interesting. Sure. Just like hearing those little differences. So okay. Well, we've got yeah, we got lots of stuff to talk about this week. Uh, Laravel happenings. I'll take kind of the first one, which is something I use every day and I'm a huge fan of, which is Valet, Laravel Valet. It released or tagged version 
2.0. So there was some pretty significant changes in this version actually. One of the big ones is that behind the scenes it was previously using a web server written in Go that was called Caddy and that was the one that was being used for version 1 and they've swapped that out completely for Nginx. So Nginx is now what's being used on the back end instead of Caddy. So I would assume there's probably some pretty significant like structural changes behind the scenes that, that have taken place. I haven't really looked at the code much, but I think it's kind of safe to say if you're swapping out which servers you're using, that's probably going to be the case, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And a lot of it, I was talking with uh, Adam about it this week, and he was saying that a lot of it just comes down to the way that Caddy, like it seemed every time they fixed a problem with Caddy, and, and I mean, the guys were responsive to, to fix issues, but it seemed that any time that they had fixed an issue, they sort of introduced two or three more. And it was always, you know, a maintenance overhead to just get it all working. So Nginx is obviously long established. It's, it's you know, it brings you a bit closer to feature parity with what you might have in production, mm-hmm. um, which is always a good thing, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with that. And, yep. you know... And, and Nginx is very well established and well supported and it you know does all of the things out of the box that may have, have been niggling issues with Caddy. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong. It's a, you're going to have a small enough footprint with Nginx. Obviously not as small as what Caddy would be in probably, but you know it's easy to install through Brew on a Mac anyway. And when you abstract it all, all the way behind Valet, it doesn't you know, it's not going to cause too many issues for you. Yeah, exactly. You're still using the same exact sort of commands from the command line that you would have used before anyway, so no big deal. The process to actually install the new Caddy uh, 2.0, though, um, involves you uninstalling your previous version. So if you're like me, you don't remember the sites that you have linked or parked uh, or the folders that you have linked or parked or whatever. So as a kind of step before wiping out your entire installation. I had mentioned to Eric Barnes, and I think he put it in his article too, to back up your .valet folder, which is just in like your user root folder. So like that tilde slash .valet. It has uh, the sim links to all of your sites that you've linked or parked in there. So you might even just take a screenshot so you can remember when you have to set your valet up again, which ones you had linked and all that stuff. So that might be a good idea to do that. But other than that, it seemed like the upgrade process was pretty, pretty painless. I mean, other than, of course, the fact that you have to re-link everything. So that's, that's kind of a pain. But depending on how you had it set up, it might not be so bad. Like if you had everything in one folder, kind of as they suggest, like if you like linked a a folder to Valet and all of your sites were just in there, then it's no big deal. But if you, like me, already had sites kind of scattered around in in different places, I guess, then you actually linked them, not manually, but you used the, I think it's park command or something like that, then you might Mm -hmm. might have to kind of screenshot that and help yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, I was was thinking back to some of the problems they they had said they were having with Caddy and we had talked about them with Adam on our show previously. And I think one of the ones was large file kind of sizes being managed through caddy where it was it was just not ideal the way that it was working yeah which helped me to remember something that was not on our list to talk about today but i'm going to talk about it real quick anyway and that is transferring large files either allowing people to download large files or or however that occurs the the situation that i was having at our job at my work is that we had a server that was internally and we needed to stream files from that server through a web server to a client on the outside of our firewall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about, you know, we get up to sizes of like 800 meg, possibly even up to like a gig or something like that. 
And what ends up happening is during that streaming process, if you get like one bit off, right? The the pack the, yeah. the file is corrupt and now you're screwed. Like the entire download is, yeah. is garbage. So we were having that problem a lot where like we're trying to stream this thing through and somehow or another, you know, a bit gets flipped or, or something gets, the stream gets interrupted. Because I mean, these are long downloads, you know, this is taking, it's not yeah. taking two minutes, it's taking a long time. So the solution that we worked with is instead of, instead of continuing to do it that way, what we did is we said, okay, we want to upload these to S3 which makes it a lot easier because we can, you know, we can upload to S3 easily enough. But then the problem was, okay, how do we make it so that we can make this file public only for specific IPs? And do we still have to stream this from S3 to our client or how do we do that? And the solution as you know, the Amazon SDK to the rescue was this, and this makes total sense, is that you can upload to a private bucket. And then what you can do is you can have through the Amazon uh, S3 SDK, you can have it create a temporary link to that private file and set an expiration time on that link. So you don't actually have to move the private file to a public bucket or try and change permissions on it. You basically just say, here's the file that I want. I want a temporary URL to this file that is only available to this client for the next 10 minutes. And so yep. you do that, you basically make the call up and then you send through the URL to your client, you redirect them to that URL and it starts the download and they're downloading straight from S3. So there's no streaming through of anything, it's just straight down from S3, which was, yep. oh my word, huge, like, yep. that is the way that I, that we, I was so Pro- thankful. Problems that, that have already been solved, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So for any of you struggling with something like that, where you have big files that you need to download or or upload for that matter, and then have somebody download later, this is the way to do it. Now, there is no necessarily easy, easy way in Laravel to do it. I, I didn't know of any packages, but the SDK is pretty dang straightforward. So this sounds like something yeah. that you might have dealt with before, I'm assuming, since you guys deal with pretty large file sizes on a regular basis. Yeah. I mean, we've done it in this job. We do, I mean, we're doing streaming videos, so it's it's a little bit different because we're handling that through um, a streaming platform called Wowza. Um, and that handles, you know, continuity of the streams and, and chunking and all that kind of stuff that uh, that is an established standard for HLS. Okay. But in a previous job, I was doing a similar thing to you. We were trying to host files and there was sort of, you know, protected files and things like that. And they had literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of these files and they were all varying sizes. So, yeah, we just offloaded all of that to S3 and said, you give us the credentials and we'll set it all up and then you can pay the bill every month. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, awesome. it's certainly a nice way of doing it. It's, it's definitely a lot better than trying to manage that kind of stuff yourself and then, as you said, worrying about all of those streaming issues and, and whatnot because then you, you just hand out the signed URL. They can... You know, I have to have the URL, but then that that URL was only available for a certain period of time. Yeah, which is that's the thing, right? Because you either have to, you know, like if I, I was thinking, like, okay, let's reinvent the wheel here. Let's take this file, let's move it to a public bucket, and give them the link. And then after ten minutes, we have a job that runs in a queue that removes that file. It's like just so silly. Yeah. You know, that is not the way to yeah. do it. So, yeah, using the SDK is definitely the way. Speaking of large yep. file sizes, 62 terabytes a month, does that ring a bell for you? Yeah, some kind of bell from a, from a tweet that I saw from Taylor Otwell during the yeah, week. Yeah, let's talk about this. What you got? So as part of just the general transparency, I guess, that Taylor has with, with a lot of the public aspects of Laravel, 
He's, he tweeted the other day that he had received contact from HashiCorp, which is the company behind Vagrant. And they're the ones that, that host all of the images and they serve them out. So normally, you know, you would expect some reasonable level of, of usage from downloading operating system images. The Homestead one, I think, runs at about a gig and a half or two gig, something like that. But Taylor had tweeted that he'd been contacted by them and they said, uh, you need to sort of look at somewhere else to host this image because they couldn't afford the 62 terabytes a month of bandwidth just for the, the Homestead images. Which is insane. Yeah. And I mean, it, it for, for any of you who aren't familiar, I'm sure most of you probably are, but Homestead is, is a vagrant image that allows you to that you can download that you can run as an, as a virtual machine that essentially replicates uh, the environment that you would get if you were to deploy a box through Laravel Forge or provision a server through Laravel Forge. Yeah. So it's really handy because it basically makes your local image and your image of that's going to be on your web server pretty much parity, right? They have parity, the two of them. So yeah. what you're developing locally and what you're actually pushing to your web server are going to be really similar, really uh, close. So if you're going to have problems, you'd probably have problems on your local one and then you could, you know, you, you'd know what you're going to run into. We've all had those issues, right, where we have a an INI setting or something weird in our local that allows something to work and you push it up to production and it breaks. So this kind of helps to address that and, um, uh, and of course, keeps all your productions or your um, web stuff onto a virtual machine as well, which you can just destroy at any time. That's what Homestead is. And, and yeah, and you had said that shopping around or whatever, what was it going to cost? Like if you were to host that somewhere like S3, what would be the cost for that? Yeah, if you're putting on S3, I think someone had posted a screenshot of the uh, the, the calculator that you can put you know, plug your details into and 62 terabytes a month, which runs at about 200 megabit per second consistently across you know, a 30 day month. It was going to be something in the order of five to $6,000 a month. So my gosh, yeah, That's... now it's time to weigh up, you know, can you, can you justify, can you afford that? Can you, I mean, obviously you'd want to try and find a sponsor for it in the first instance. But if you can't find someone willing to sponsor that kind of bandwidth, what do you do? Yeah, I don't... Because you've now got this extremely popular development environment that gives you, obviously, as you said, feature parity with what your Forge provision production hosts will be. I know what you do. Um, I know what, what you, do, do you do. But, but I mean, this I don't know, make it a torrent. Like, torrent it, I suppose. That way you share yeah. the load among a ton of people. The only problem would be getting it corrupted i don't know i of course i'm pretty yeah. i don't know how torrents work that well all i know is that basically what it is is it'd be like you're you're sharing the load of having people download it over a vast amount of users instead of saying there's one server that you can all download it from and then that thing has to take the hit yeah and you have to pay for it so i don't know i don't know that might be an option yeah. it might not be but i mean the other thing you have to consider as well is whether or not downloading the image is going to play nicely with vagrant because Vagrant, obviously, when you say, uh, yeah, you know, Vagrant up, and then you give it the box name, it it automatically goes to look, yeah, at the HashiCorp endpoints. So I don't know how easy it is to configure it, you know, to to just point it at a local disk image. Right. Um, That's I true. mean, I assume actually, I assume the first thing it does is look locally for the image, but then it you know looks for new versions and things like that. So yeah, whether or not it's straightforward and and. You know how difficult that's going to be for a someone who's learning Laravel for the first time, for example. Yeah. You know, all these things that you have to sort of weigh up. So, but I, I mean, obviously, something will need to be done. Yeah. About it, I guess. With Valet out, man, I just, you know, I destroyed my Homestead box. I took it all out. 
I, I was like, you know, valet is exactly what I need. It, it serves its purpose totally fine yeah. for what I need it for. And so I don't even use Homestead anymore. Yeah. So I have a Homestead machine for one of the projects at work because it's running FFmpeg and, and doing transcoding and that sort of stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are, see, those so are valid just, use cases. Just you know, for that. But. Well, things where you're going to be deploying other services specific uh, to an application is probably the only place I'd use it. But we're starting to look at actually containerizing that in an in a new version of that platform which i mean which is another option you know a few people tweeted in response you know it's time to move to docker i don't i don't think that's a solution at all i think that's another option but just from my limited experience with docker i don't think again for people that are learning laravel for the first time a lot of them may not even have any sort of you know, sysadmin type skills. Docker is probably not something you want to mess around with, especially if you're on a Mac. It's better, but it's still not great. And yeah, right. You know, it's it's introducing a whole other layer of learning. But hey, who knows? Chris Fidel's yeah. uh, shipping shipping Docker course might be something that goes hand in hand. So who knows? Yeah, there's people who are smarter out there than we are that are going to figure this out. Absolutely. So anyway, that's good to know. The other thing with Homestead, uh, the new version is it is on PHP 7.1. So that's cool. So if you're planning on using PHP yep. 7.1, you could download the, download that new box and mess around with it on there. So that's cool. Yeah. And Valet, Valet not yet. Valet is still 7.0, but I think they're working on getting 7.1 to it soon as well. Gotcha. Yeah. I wonder if how easy or difficult it would be to... Because I had a an application that needed PHP 5.6 the other day and we had valet installed on one of my other developers machines and we were like i wonder if there's any way to go from valet using seven to five six i don't think there is that would, yeah is there there's there's not there's not an automatic process but you you can you can install both versions with homebrew homebrew yeah yeah and then you just unlink one and link the other and it'll basically swap out one for the other cool okay so I'll uh, I'll look into doing that next time. That'd be that'd be handy. It'd be cool if you had a command to do that. I suppose I don't know how. Uh, I don't know whatever. It's not like it would be that difficult, no. right? I just don't know if you'd want to include it in Valet. You'd be like Valet switch PHP, and it would say which version do you want yeah. to use. Here are the ones you have installed. You can say five six and it'd swap it up. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll pull request it. Who knows? It sounds like whatever. a pull request. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, Twenty four pull requests. That's it. Okay, so the other thing we want to talk about is that the release cycle for Laravel is changing. So previously it had been like December and June or something like that, like on the 12 and on the 6, and it's going, which was uh, coincided with the uh, release cycle of Symphony components, I believe, which is, yeah. you know, Laravel is built on top of some Symphony components. And so as Symphony would release those, um, then, you know, Laravel would, would update to its... Uh, newer version however kind of i think what had started happening is a lot of times like symphony would release and then you'd still need a little bit of time to make sure that everything was working out in laravel anyway so they switched the release cycle up a little bit so what's it looking like now michael so now it's going to switch from whatever it was i think may or june and november december to january and july okay which makes good sense yeah yeah which as you said it's just a little bit more time for you know, Taylor and Muhammad and, and all the other contributors to sort of go over and make sure that any changes that have come in through new Symphony components don't break anything in the framework. And it also coincides that July release a little bit better with Laracon. So, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. 5.3 5. was sort of delayed, you know, out to Laracon 
EU this year. Um, we got a sneak of it at uh, the US Laracon. So I think it works better that way rather than cool. you yeah. know, everyone expecting it in May, June and then it getting pushed back a month and get pushed back a month. Now there's, exactly. you know, we set the expectation and it works better for everyone, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. So there's a couple of five, four features that we wanted to talk about as well. These fluent routes that have been mentioned on Laravel News and other things like that, that's coming in five, four, I believe. Is that correct? I think the fluent routes already exist. Okay. And in, in some cases they do. So like yeah. right now you can do like route colon colon get and then you you know paren and then you specify the pattern basically that you're matching against and then you can put in the controller method that it's going to go to and i think what you could do before is you could on the very end you could say uh like arrow name and then you could yeah. and then you could specify the name that you wanted the route to have instead of in yeah. the in the actual like declaration there at the beginning part putting like as and then naming it so now you can kind of yep. fluently on the end of it put the name but the change that i believe is in coming in five four is that you can put that name at the beginning right yeah so you can say like route colon colon name specify the name of the route and then you do arrow get and specify the rest yeah. of it i think that's the Correct. change that's coming in five four yeah right? before i mean it was significant before that you know had to have the the verb first you had to do all of that definition now now it's um, I think Joseph Silber is the one that had made the pull request to do that. And yeah, now now the order becomes insignificant. So you can put name first or last or middleware, you know, wherever. Yeah, which is really great. And the group too. So you can put like a group. Yep. You know, you can put like the group and then you can put like the middleware on the end there. And it said like, oh, one of the really the cool things I saw. Well. Yeah, the prefix as well. And then you can actually point it to an entire route definition file. So you could say yeah. like route colon colon name dashboard group dashboard prefix dashboard whatever then you could say i can't remember what it was but you could essentially say like load up this route file so you know how we have web.php is for all your web routes and then api.php yep. is for all your api routes you could specify the name of a route file and it will just load that up for like a resource maybe or something i can't remember exactly how it, how it was we'll have to look up that tweet and reference in the show notes but it was uh, looked really yeah. interesting, very interesting. Some some cool changes that would really clean up your route files and make them a lot more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> manageable. Manageable, yeah, but like broken into their 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 components, right? Sure. Um, yeah, rather than having everything in one place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's that's a really neat change. Um, looking forward yeah. to. And the other thing was just around route caching as well. So they've improved the way. I mean, for most, for a lot. I don't know. I don't know what the the portion would be, but for for applications that are deemed to be small to medium, it's it's fine in terms of you know route lookups and route matching and things like that. For very large applications, in quotes, and what what I'm reading is that we, you know we're talking a thousand or more routes. The caching of those routes has been improved, so the lookups are faster, and obviously you get to your pages much quicker as well. So that'll be handy for those larger applications. Yeah, yeah. For I mean, because you can get, geez, that thing can get out of control real quick. I mean, depending on how large your application is, like you said. Yeah, I, I've got one application that I've worked on previously that is the routes files out of control, out of control. And if we update it to 5.3, the API, just the api.php routes file will be really nice to kind of break up that one huge routes file into, into two, essentially. So one of the other things that Taylor and some of the other guys had talked about 
this is last Laravel podcast, the official Laravel podcast, was blade components and slots. So this is something I'm not super educated about, unfortunately, because I still don't get the slots thing for view components. I'm working on it, but my brain just hasn't, I haven't made the connection yet. I'm still, the the, the whole inheritance of like, this extends this and here's a, uh, here's a section and a yield to this section and those sorts of things. That stuff makes sense to my brain right now, maybe just because I've been doing yeah. it in Blade for long enough. The components and, and the slots, I still struggle a little bit with. But before I let you explain that to me, because I'm sure you probably have a better grasp on it than I do. I'm setting you up for failure here if you don't. <laughs> they already have stacks in Laravel 5.3, which has been talked about recently a couple times on, on different podcasts and things like that. Have you ever used stacks in blade uh i haven't used stacks i've used the concept so i've been using i've defined in my header and my footer like a head styles and a footer scripts Uh and then what i do when i need to because i mean my applications are not massive so i know that on any given page i'm only really bringing in a content and a um like a, a head, like a, a page title or something. Yep. So when I need to just sprinkle in a little bit of JavaScript, for example, I would just, you know, at section footer scripts and then inside that I'll go at parent and then I'll just add whatever other JavaScript I need. So I I believe that the, the stacks is just sort of like wrapping that all up. So you just push stuff onto the stack and then you you can display the stack. And that way you don't have to worry about putting in that at parent notation every time you do yeah. it. Yeah, it's um, it's nice because so like, you know, this other week I had, and I could have solved this another way by making another yield section in, and then having to have my one template do a section and then the header thing, whatever. But the problem comes in when you have multiple things pushing to that one spot. Yeah. Right, because you don't want to, you can't say, yield here yield header and then have one of your child views or whatever basically take over that section and say section header and then end section and and inject its stuff in there and then have another child view do the same you can't do that because it'll like overwrite those values so with a stack you have uh in your blade declaration you say like at stack and then you name the stack like header scripts and then in any of your child views you can say push stack and you put the the code that you want in there and then end push you say push stack nav or whatever or push stack header scripts or whatever and then you end end put or end uh, yeah i think end push and you can do this as many times as you want and all of those pieces will get concatenated together and, and shoved into that stack yeah which is pretty cool so yeah i've been using that a little bit a little bit recently and i was it was very convenient and uh made a lot of sense so i see slots and components as kind of being similar uh, but the way I understand it is that it kind of flips the inheritance chain on its head, I think, is how that works. So <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful or not. Have you used these slots at all? I know probably with maybe view stuff. Probably not too much in Laravel yet, obviously, since it's not out. Sure. Yeah, I've used it a little bit in view. I had like a modal component, and then I would have inside that modal a slot for the header, the body, and the footer. And that then allowed me to basically use a modal component in my, like I would have a specific modal, so an add user modal or an add blog post modal or whatever. And then within the add blog post, 
I would just reference the modal component and I would put in my you know slot name equals header and I would then put in whatever it needed to go in the header like the, the title for example slot body would be the body content you know the main body of the form and then the, the footer would just be a button that would basically say cancel or buttons that say cancel or add or save or whatever it is so yeah yeah I'm pretty sure it's going to be useful it certainly might be a bit nicer than the current extend because I think extend is kind of limited um, especially when you're yielding and things like that so it'll be nice to have a play around and and I mean with anything I think there there will be a clear I don't want to say winner, but there'll be, you know, it's something that everyone decides, okay, this is what we're going to do now. And so the community will start pushing it, and then that's where everyone will start going. Um, but it, I, I do like that sort of there's stuff coming out of view going into Laravel. You know, there seems to be a nice symbiosis between the two projects, which is good as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Which, speaking of you, uh, I've been working in kind of a lot this week. Uh, so it's been fun. It's been really working in view 2.0 stuff. So I've been using a lot of this, they, they talk about in the view guide, simple state management where you essentially are using an external object, JavaScript, just a plain JavaScript object to manage your state instead of, yep. instead of trying to pass down props and pass up event or emit events up back up the chain. So you just kind of have this, mm-hmm. I don't want to call it third party, but you have this outside object that is included or imported into both of your components that are kind of communicating and both of them reference that object. And so when they're imported, it, the object is a singleton. So anytime it changes in one place, it changes across anything else that has imported it. Yep. So that's been really pretty handy. That's a great way to do it. And you know, people are like, well, why don't you just use Vuex? And that's fine. I, I get that. It offers a lot of afford, you know, it affords you a lot of cool things when you use Vuex because you, if you're using the View, View Chrome Dev Tools, you have like, you know, what do they call it? Time machine, basically, where you can kind of go back and forth based on what mutations yeah. have taken place in your JavaScript. So you can you can use that, which is pretty cool. But sometimes it's just overkill. You know, if I literally need to track two pieces of state and I don't and, I'll, and I don't want to pass props and emit events, and I just need to keep track of these two little things, I'm just going to do it out in some little JavaScript object that is literally ten lines. You know, yeah. so so that's a good that's a good way to do it. If you haven't checked that out before in the docs. And you're looking for a uh, good way to manage some of your state and your view stuff? Check that out. Simple state management. It's very, very simple. We'll link that up in the show notes yeah. as well. Yeah, I saw you posted that in in Slack during the week, probably about I don't know three hours after I had basically just shoved a window dot <laughs> nice. global variable in there, and I was just manually shoving things into yeah, it. Yeah, and that's almost really what it is, except for it's not available to yeah. the window since you're compiling it with Webpack or Rollup or yeah. you know whatever it is that you're using, Browserify. I think your solution was certainly more elegant. It was more, I think, JavaScripty than what mine was. <laughs> sure, it, it feels better if nothing else, even if it's not like sure. necessarily clean. It just It's not available to the window, so nobody can mess yeah. with it. From you know, So it makes you feel better if nothing else. So yeah, check that out. If you haven't looked at that before, check that out. It's it's a great way to do things. I was introduced to that by Adam Wathen and it's a it's a good pattern. So the last thing I wanted to talk about here was view server-side rendering. So I saw a thing out there just this last week where it was talking about rendering your components server-side and whatnot. And uh, then David Hemphill just had said on in our Slack channel, he's like, yeah, I'm doing server-side rendering with you. And I'm like, what is he, how is he, do, what is he talking about? 
what he was saying is that he's rendering his templates in PHP and and Blade, and then just attaching his view components to them by using the L property. So like EL colon, and then you specify yep. the ID of the thing that you're going to attach it to. You know what I'm talking yep. about? So instead of including the yeah, template yeah. in line in your component or using brow, uh, you know, Browserify or Viewify or whatever to compile everything down. So he's just he's just writing his template in Blade, and then he's just giving an ID of this is the registration form. And then his view component just says, look for the registration form on the page and attach yourself to it. So sure. One thing that I noticed, like this last week when I was doing some of the some of some work in view, is you know, it can be a real pain if you're just changing one little thing. Like if I want to change a class, especially if I'm trying to do like some styling, or whatever. If I just want to change like a class and see how that's going to look, I have to change the class. Then I have to render, you know, I have to render it all. I have to do, you know, gulp webpack or gulp browser fire whatever wait for that to change yeah. reload my page and then i get to see it and it's like ah, i don't want to and so i'll change it back it can just be annoying at times to have your template bound inside your inside your uh view component you know what i'm saying yeah. just because you don't sure. get as quick a yeah. feedback so i don't know and i was trying to figure out like okay how can i how can i render the server side and sometimes the answer is so obvious it's like oh that's right i could just go back to doing exactly what i was doing before where i'm using blade <laughs> to render exactly it up right. and then attach the the uh the component to it uh, just do that l so anyway something to think about you know yeah. it's like that sounds good it's 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 super handy to have your component all together so you can see like here's the yeah. template here's the javascript here's the css that is handy but if it's not going to be transported around if you're not going to use this component in five other places or if you just know for a fact that you're literally only going to use this on one page sometimes it makes sense to have the server render your html and then just attach your behavior to it with your with your uh you know with that little i don't even know what you call it it's not a directive it's just a property on your view object yeah so i might be doing that more in the future here yeah i wonder if i wonder if we can get david to write a blog post about it because it sounds like an interesting way of doing it especially as you say if you're not if you're not going to be making that component portable a lot so yeah and really all i I don't know i usually just have gold watch running and let it let it do its thing. It's a bit annoying when you've got version as well because you've got to... When when Gulp sends the notification yeah. that it is finished compiling the assets, you then have to wait like a second or two for it to do the versioning as well. So, yep. And then I end up refreshing my browser too soon and get a blank page. Yeah, I wish you could turn off page. versioning for like local. So I don't know, like, you know, when you're calling the Elixir app.js or whatever, instead of yeah. looking for the versioned one of it, if you could just say like, hey, if I'm in development mode, just look for... the don't even worry about the version thing. Just look for the, you know, yeah. the straight file. I don't know if you can do that or not. I'm sure there'd be a way to do that, but yeah. But yeah, and, and really, what you know, all he's doing is he's doing exactly what I was doing before, which is instead of including the template in there, you're just rendering out the template. You're in in Blade. You're writing what your template's going to be for view to the page, and then Vue's just yeah. picking it up and saying, "Oh, that's the L. I will take that and inject that into my component as the template that I'm going to use, and then I will render out yeah. any of the mustache tags there and put my stuff in there and and whatever." So it's not like it's hard. It's basically just instead of writing your template in your view component, you write it on the page and then tell your your view component go look at that ID. That's your template. So yeah, it's not difficult. Good. It's just kind of going backwards for me because I was doing that before. And then I started including them all into the component, and now I'm going back to that. So anyway, yeah. what's old is new again. That's right. Yeah, man. All right, well, you know, honestly, that's about all I've got. you have anything else you wanted to talk about this week? No, I think that we've, we've covered everything off pretty well. 
And we've, uh, man, we're like way over time. We're 42 minutes. Sorry, yeah. everybody, if you were hoping this was going to be a quick podcast. I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but, oh well. All right, man. Well, hey, it sounds Everything like you've fall. got some nieces and nephews that want to play. I've been hearing them in the background. Yeah. Yeah. yeah their, hopefully, it's not not too prominent when we get the recording out. With with their little Aussie accents. We should You should get a, your niece and nephew to say, uh, thanks for listening to the North Meets South Web podcast. You should get them to do that. We should yes. record that right I'll, now. All right. I'll, I'll do that. Hang on. Yep. Can't wait to hear these cute little Aussie voices. I'm going Aussie children. This is going to be awesome. It's like baby puppies or something. Sure. Oh my word, they sound so cute. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. <laughs> they're so cute. Oh my word, their little voices. Uh, so, anyway, hey, everybody, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio/slash 17. We are officially ahead of the Dads and Dev podcast. We are one episode Woo. ahead of them. So, yes, go us. Uh, you can also catch up with us on Twitter at North Meets South uh, on Twitter. And uh, if you like this show, please rate North, it. North South Audio. My gosh. Every time I screw that up. You can also catch up with us on Twitter at North South Audio if you have any questions or would like to suggest future topics for other episodes. And of course, as always, if you like the show, please feel free to rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. Well, Michael, I'm going to let you get back to your family. Good talking to you, man. We went a little too long today. That's all right. Cheers. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Go and hang out with these ankle biters. All right, man. Take it easy, man. Bye. See ya. We'll just we'll just make it work as much as we can. You'll probably, you might have to cut out a yeah, couple things. Yeah, it's fine. Here. I'll cut it all together. Okay, you always do. You always do, like a champ, yeah, like a boss, <laughs> like a boss. <laughs> I just watched that video this morning. So good. <laughs> was it because I said yes, boss, to you? <laughs> yes, it was actually like a boss. <laughs> <laughs>